Welcome to another episode of the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast with me, your host, Paul Swindell. Today, I'm joined by paramedic Paul Warwick, who's not just any old paramedic, he's a very special paramedic to me because he was a person who actually, just over five years ago, came to my house and defibbed me back to life. So thank you very much for that, Paul. No and problem. welcome today. Thank you very much. Firstly, can you tell me briefly about your, yourself? I can. I'm, I'm um, 55 years old. Uh, I've worked for East of England Ambulance Service now for 16 years. Um, two years was a trainee paramedic and then I qualified in 2004 and become a senior paramedic. Um, my responsibilities are to train up um, student paramedics now. We ride out with them and to deliver obviously quality uh, pre-hospital care where required, um, administering straight in drugs and also making referrals to other healthcare professionals. So what was it that made you want to become a paramedic? Um, there was a couple of things that happened. Um, I spent a long career in engineering and um, I felt uh, maybe a bit of an early midlife crisis that I needed a change of career. And uh, it, I was sitting in my lounge at home and all of a sudden I heard a bang and I saw a girl flying through the air and land in the road. And uh, I didn't really know what to do. I had no first aid experience. So all I could do was call for an ambulance. And uh, a guy turned up on a car and he was so calm and confident. I was like sort of blown away with how cool he was and uh, the treatment that he gave this patient. Um, and it just sort of inspired me to look further into that career, which I did. And, uh, and I had a chat with my wife because it was a bit of a pay drop, but decided that It'd be a good idea to have a go now. And that's what happened, and I never looked back since. So that, that was about when you were 40, was So it? I was 38 when I started. Um, so, and, and I went from a very well-paid job to <laughs> my pay as a trader wasn't great, but uh, the job satisfaction outweighed the payment. Mm -hmm. So I'm never going to be rich, but I quite enjoy what I'm doing, which I think is a, a, a good thing in life. Is it something you recommend other people do to um, switch careers at that stage? Um, I, I think if, like myself, I went into a career without really choosing it. We got jobs as youngsters and just went along with the jobs. And I think if you got the opportunity to do something you really want to do, I would say go for it. Life's too short to just work for money. <laughs> and had you any sort of inkling before in your, your life that you wanted to do something medical or giving no, back no, like that? Nothing, nothing at all. I, I, I wasn't sure about the sight of blood. I always felt a bit faint. So I wasn't too sure how I'd cope in real life situations. But I've never thought about it before. So it was... Yeah, it's a big change of career, and uh, and just because of that say. girl getting um, it was that, and also probably two years before my daughter got hit by a car, and um, we were on holiday in Cornwall, and an ambulance crew turned up. I just grabbed hold of her, didn't know what to do, and they were so calm, and so there was a couple of factors that 
you know, maybe think, yeah, I'll, I could, I'm sure I could help people if I knew how to. You mentioned about you, you trained up uh, 16 years ago. Um, what, what did you have to go through for that training? So we have a, it's a 13 week initial training course where we sit exams on anatomy, phys, and uh, medic, we have OSCEs where we go through scenarios with um, actors as patients and we're, we're critiqued on these. And also we then do a three-week dri- driving course um, so we can drive on blue lights. If you pass all of that, we come out onto the road as trainee paramedics, so we're put with a qualified person for a year and we have to gather a portfolio of evidence and be assessed along the way. Uh, And by the end of the final year, if everything's up to date and you pass your final assessment, you're then a qualified technician. Uh, From that point, you then go on to do your paramedic exams where you do an entrance exam and then you go on to do your paramedic training. It's changed slightly now, it's more university based now. But at the time mine was done purely through the ambulance service. Um, and then we go into hospitals to do placements, um, cardiology, we go into A&E, uh, maternity. As you can imagine, we can come across everything from birth to death and everything in between. Um, so we need to have a, a rough idea what we're going to do when we get there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So would that all paramedics do that? Um get to go to the different disciplines within medicine? Yeah, all paramedics will do a hospital placement. Um, so we go into theatres to learn to intubate um, for our unconscious patients. Brilliant airway management. We go into maternity. Um, we hopefully help deliver babies in maternity so it's not a shock when you come out and have to deliver a baby. Um, we're taught I think now we have a mental health placement, which is a new thing, because mental health is more and more frequent to us. As paramedics, we come across it quite a lot. Um, And they try and touch on where they put you with an expert in that field um, to give you a bit of guidance and support um, in your training. So you, you can pretty much have a rough idea what you're doing and how to deal with it when you get there. You mentioned that you're you're actually a senior paramedic now. So how many years do you? Yeah, they they give you that um, title now. We have to do a university module um, on. We're we're called paramedic educators now. So we do a module which gives us a mentoring qualification, so that when the students come out, we've got a structure we can put in place to critique them, to sign off um, parts of their portfolio and just guide them along the way. Um, So I will be put with a brand new student. They will come out as a third person. And we basically don't put them under any pressure, but we have them for a a period of time. And by that end of the period they're with us, they should be working independently uh, and looking towards being autonomous in their decisions. So that's my goal is to kind of help them achieve that. And um, what um, training do you get? This is the Life After Cardiac Arrest podcast. Yeah. So what, what training do you get around uh, cardiac arrest So events? the cardiac arrest um, protocol has changed since I've been in the service um, considerably. And it is really, we're having really good outcomes at the moment. And it's about getting the resource to the patient as quick as possible. So the call is very important. 
Um, so the, it's the call to arrival time, which is crucial. So once it's deemed a cardiac arrest, they will get the nearest available resource to that patient. The resource they get will be either a paramedic or um, student ambulance paramedic crew. Um, we are taught um, to get early defibrillation. So as soon as we can get our defib pads on, we will get them on and assess the rhythm of the patient. We, we make a, we get the patient in a position where we can all work around that patient. So that's the important thing to make room. Um, our defib pads will go on as quickly as possible. We assess for any um, cardiac output first, if there isn't any. Um, we will be doing chest compression straight away while the other guy's connecting up the defib pads. Once we establish the ribbon, um, we will then either shock if it's needed to shock or we carry on with our um, resuscitation. So in the meantime, we'll call for another crew because we have this approach now where it's called the pit approach. And what we do, we do it like a pit stop. So everyone will have a station, you'll have an airway station, defibrillation station, and someone running it. So we need all hands and quality CPR, um, good chest, effective chest compressions. You can only do for two minutes. So we need to change that person doing them every two minutes. Um, we need to do regular um, output checks. Uh, and it's an ongoing circle of um, resuscitation. It's very effective. We're getting really good um, return of spontaneous circulation. So when we do, we can call for senior clinicians. We've got the air ambulance which come out and they can administer further drugs that paramedics can't if they're required. Um, and then depending on what rhythm we've got, where we are location-wise, we can take straight to the cardiothoracic centre if needed and they can continue further care, maybe stenting and monitoring a patient. Would you ever take them to the South End Hospital? If you're in South End, would you always go straight to the CTC in our area? So if we get a return of spontaneous circulation and we establish that it was cardiac in origin, the arrest, so if it wasn't respiratory or neuro neurological, it was caused because of uh, a blood clot in the heart. Um, the ECG, we do um, an electrocardiogram reading. If that's showing they're having a heart attack, we can then ring up the cardiothoracic centre. If the patient's unconscious and they have an ITU bed there, they will accept and the patient will go straight to theatres. So it's depending on how the patient is presenting. They may be alert now and talking, which is different, but if they're unconscious, they need a specialist bed. Um, so it depends. We will have that conversation with them and uh, they've been, they're really good at you know, advising us what we should be doing. So we kind of look at the bigger picture, but if we can get them there, we do, because the outcome there is brilliant. How, how often are, are, people, are the patients um, conscious after resuscitation, it, talking and cohesive? It, it can happen. If we're there, um, if we're there very quickly or the patient arrests in front of us, it can be that they've been in cardiac arrest for seconds and they, they think they've fainted, so their heart rhythm will go into ventricular fibrillation and uh, we shock them straight away and they, it's as if they blink their eyes and they're just talking and they're unaware of what's happened. 
which I've seen quite a few times. Mm -hmm. um, so that's actually being there when they arrest because everything's to hand. So do, do you put the pads on just in case, if someone's if, in having if, a heart uh, attack? Yes, so um, as a paramedic, we'll, if I'm transferring to the cardiothoracic centre, someone having a, a, a heart attack, I tend to monitor them through the defibrillation pads just so I'm ready because it is a very um, unstable condition they're in. Um, not everyone does, but I, I like to know that I'm ready just to... Mm -hmm. So you can um, literally throw the switch if Yeah, and I've done it and, I, and it's worked. So it is a, it's a good, I think, a good, a good thing to do. Uh, do you know how many uh, arrests that you've attended to? I've attended lots of cardiac arrests, but I, the ones I kind of count are the ones that we get people um, back to a quality of life from. And I would say there's probably at least 10 that I know of that I'm still getting Christmas cards off some of them. And, and it's, yeah, it's great. Um, I still see a guy in Rochford where I live. He arrested upstairs. He was a big guy, he arrested. We managed to resuscitate him. He got further treatment and he comes every Christmas, gives me a card and this must be for the last 10 years now. So he's still <laughs> going strong, which is amazing. And uh, yeah, it's really, it's a good achievement for me. It makes me feel great. And he's had a brilliant 10 years of life so far. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, you sort of touched on when you, you get to a scene, what, what equipment do you have and what medications do you have that you can um, provide to the patient? So and then what, at what point do you call on uh, extra help like HEMS? So we will pretty much establish, we will go in from the ambulance carrying the defibrillator, the, we have a resuscitation bag, we have a drugs bag, which is all sort of one thing, the suction unit. So we, we're, we're full up with stuff. We come in with everything we need to carry out that resuscitation. So it's, it's quite a lot of equipment. So you know, we, sometimes we're struggling upstairs and in places and it is awkward, but we will take in everything we need. Um, once we've established it's a cardiac arrest, we will um, let control know, we will confirm cardiac arrest and that it's workable and we need the other resources. Um, is it is in workable in that you can yeah, attempt so to resuscitate? If we establish that it's, um, someone that's collapsed within a few minutes or we can't, we don't know exact time, they're warm. Um, we look for signs of um, that they have just arrested and they haven't been there for a while, which um, it would be futile. So we established that it is a workable cardiac arrest um, and we let control know. They send further resources. If HEMS are available, the... Um, doctor and uh, the critical care paramedics will arrive and um, it, it becomes a big team but it's a it's a really good team that if if you are going to die you want us around I mean you've you got a good relationship with the uh, east of uh, was it Essex and Hearts Air Ambulance yeah they're, they're brilliant to have they're really good support they're very pro um, paramedics so they will come on scene they will, we'll, we'll give them a handover and they let, let us run the job as we're running it and they just ask us if we, they can do anything or, and if we get a return of um, circulation, they can either fly to the nearest cardiac unit or they travel by road if necessary. So they, they can um, 
we do get resuscitation and they become sometimes become very agitated because of hypoxia. They might start coming round. The doctors can sedate them, um, which they like to do, so it maintains a good airway. The patient's not distressed. Um, observations are nice and calm, and it's a more stable environment rather than trying to hold someone on a stretcher because they're, they're so agitated. So uh, they're, they're brilliant to have. Uh, cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. Do they ever fly to the CTC? Yeah. I think they do. Yeah, I, I, I'm not not 100 sure, but I think if they're miles away, I, I imagine they do. I, I'm not sure. I think it depends on how stable the patient is, but I'm pretty sure they will do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm. And what are the sort of drugs that you could administer? So we we look for reversible causes. So once the resuscitation's ongoing. We, we look at what may have caused the cardiac arrest in the first place, whether it's a blood clot in the heart. Um, Is that, will you tell from an ECG on that? We can tell that by a history. So if someone said they, they clutched their chest, went on the floor, and you know, it's sort of indication of it's a chest pain and they've collapsed. Um, there's um, drugs that can break clots up. There's, um, if they've, if it's, by an accident or intentional drug overdose, there's drugs we can give that um, reverse the effects of drugs, um, so that will enable the heart to go and the breathing to start again. We give a drug which speeds up, or it's supposed to speed up the electrical contractivity of the heart, so it, it helps it to start and reset itself. Um, oxygen's a great one, so Patients sometimes die because they haven't got enough oxygen, so we can sort their airway out and we can, through ventilation, get their body back to uh, being oxygenated and pumping their heart around. Massive blood loss, if they've had an accident, we can stem the blood flow, um, we can give some fluids and we can give a, a drug which will potentially stop, sort of aid clotting to hopefully... Um, bring on a resuscitation. Uh, temperature related problems, we can warm patients up if they're freezing cold and try and get their heart going. So we've got reversible causes and, and that's what we look at. So we try and gather a history whilst we're working on it. It's not always clear. There are, there are some cases where you can't get them back immediately if they're in flat lines. Yeah, they're, they're different heart rhythms. That, Asystole is a very unusual one to get a, a, a return of spontaneous circulation back, but it does happen. Um, if it's a shockable rhythm, there's a very good chance we might see a survival. Um, defibrillation, basically you're stopping and resetting that heart and we, we want it to go back in that rhythm that can pump the blood through the heart. And if that happens, we've got a very good chance then of getting you back. <laughs> When, when you're using it, the, the defib, um, could you just run through a little bit about how what you do and what yes. your, so your what protocol we, is? Yeah, what we do, we pop the pads on straight away. It's connected to this machine, and on the machine we we have a screen. Uh, we look for a rhythm. So if it's a flat line, um, it's asystole, and we just carry on with resuscitation with chest compressions and ventilation for as long as we can to, to try and change that rhythm into one where the heart can actually start going. Um, if it's 
like a, a bizarre wavy kind of line and we have no pulse it's more likely to be what we call VF and that's a shockable rhythm um, so we will then administer a shock straight away there's other rhythms VT and VT without a pulse we can shock as well so the pads are on we look at the rhythm and the machine is preset to a shockable uh, energy setting it's 200 joules so we charge it up and it once it gets that charge we push a button and it releases the power and it sends the shock through the heart and that's it and then we carry straight on with chest compressions even we don't look at the rhythm we carry on for another two minutes um, so if the heart has started going we're still assisting it and then on the next um, pulse check and rhythm check if there we can feel a, an output by palpating um, radial pulses or carotid pulses we then stop the chest compressions and then we start looking at whether they're breathing okay and ventilation and start thinking about transferring them to the CTC. So, so everyone would probably get two minutes of CPR or whatever, is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. So once we're on the chest, they will get... And it, the pit approach now is about minimal time off the chest. Mm -hmm. They found that by um, doing chest compressions, you're getting this blood pressure up that's hopefully perfusing everything in the brain. So as soon as you stop, that pressure's dropping down. So we want to keep that pressure on. So it's a very minimal pulse check, rhythm check, and then back on the chest straight away. If we shock them, it's back on the chest. Uh, and it seems to be working. Um, from what I've seen, our resuscitation is, I've seen a lot more cardiac outputs coming back and respiratory outputs coming back through this new approach. And, and say the first shock doesn't work, so you, you continue doing CPR, and then is it the same shock again? Or do you yeah, so jobs? what we do, we carry on with the same pads. If they're in VF and we've shocked them, um, after the third shock, we can give another drug, amiodrone, which can help settle the rhythm down. And we're trying to get that rhythm back into a sinus rhythm. So following the third shock, we will give this new drug and um, and then hopefully that will get them back. But it's ongoing. So our, it's not about moving the patient, it's about doing it on scene and getting the best care we can on scene because when you're moving someone, you're not actually doing effective resuscitation. So if we've got a good team there, the doctor's turned up, we've got a new machine now which our managers carry, which does artificial um, chest compressions. Is that the Lucas? The Lucas, yeah. So that's placed on, so that takes away us having to get worn out and change all the time. So it frees up pairs of hands, it's really good. I imagine CPR is quite tiring. It is tiring, yeah. It's if it's done properly, it's, yeah, it's, um, we have a puck that we put on the chest and through our defib it monitors the depth, rhythm and rate of our chest compressions and it tells us if we're going deep enough, if we're going fast enough. Uh, yeah, we have a metronome to help us, so it sort of... Uh, how many, um, how often do you break ribs, do you think? Um, I think the cracking sometimes is cartilage, I've heard, and not so much ribs, but I think when it's someone who's quite frail, um, I think you go in a bit tentatively at first and try and gauge it, because um, we are after a good depth of compression, uh, and I think if you know, if, 
if you've got a couple of broken ribs but you survived I don't think it's the end of the world so um, it's not a nice feeling hearing something crack but it does happen yeah, it, it's painful uh, I've had my, my you hurt my ribs a little right. bit but I don't think I had any broken ones no. but I can guarantee that 99.9% .9 of patients would rather have that than the alternative. Yeah. So I don't think you need to worry about <laughs> it. <laughs> and, and going back to the, uh, the shocks, so you, you've done two so far. How, how many shocks would you continue doing and um, how long we, can you go on for? We continue. So we, uh, if we're continually shocking, we think about applying new pads in a different position. Um, so we may change the pads from front to back just to try an alternative route of the shock through the heart. Uh, so could that be something physical that's blocking the... the yeah, the I mean, we, we just try We try everything. So um, we want to, I think after six to eight shocks, we're advised to change the pads anyway. So it might be an idea to put them in a different position. Uh, but we're just going to keep going until we get a change or until someone senior is going to assess it and say, you know, we've we've been doing this active arrest for so long, they've been down for so long, and then eventually it'll be called. Um, Does the person's bodily makeup um, alter the sort of jewels or position? Um, Position-wise, yeah. I mean, um, there's a lots of different um, physical things that can affect it. I mean, you can go to quite large patients and it can be awkward just moving them or trying to get around them. Um, even doing chest compressions is awkward. Uh, airway is awkward. There's, there's lots of physical factors that will affect each job. There's, there's one thing, a um, question that I've seen a number of times in my group and other groups is, like me, if you've got an ICD and for whatever reason it was to fail and you were to bring an external defibrillator to me, yeah. would you be able to use that on me and would yes. you do anything different? Yeah, no, we would assess you. For, we, we do, we have a ring magnet which we can put on an ICD to disable it if needs be, if it's firing for the wrong reasons. But to me, if they're firing, they're firing for a reason. So normally they will do the work and I've not seen anyone have it fire where it shouldn't be. So if we put our pads on and you've got one anyway, um, it, it, if you, ours is picking up like VF, yours should be shocking you. If it isn't, we can shock you. Mm -hmm. But I've not come across anyone yet that, that is fouled on. Only I've come across people that it's worked on where they've like flown across <laughs> the floor and not know what's happened. And uh, obviously their heart's gone into a rhythm and it's, it's done its job. So you're, you're attending them after they've had a shock? Yeah, and that's happened bit... quite a bit, yeah, because uh, it is quite a shock. Um, so what, what do you do in those cases if someone... We monitor the patient and obviously their heart had gone into some kind of rhythm that, was, that needed shocking out of. So we will monitor them and our advice would be to take them to the hospital for further um, assessment and monitoring. So that's what we'd do. We'd, we'd put our own electrodes on to monitor their heart so it would pick up any disturbance in their rhythm. And, and if they're shocked again, they're in a safe environment, we're all around. Um, but we would take them for further checks, definitely. And on the shocks, what's the, the most number of shocks that you've given to someone and got a successful outcome? I, I, I couldn't tell you. I've, I've administered a lot of shocks. 
um, before, and we've still got an outcome. Ten, twenty? I, I wouldn't say it's more than ten, but um, I've been to patients that have been shocked a lot of times. I mean, I see sometimes patients where they arrest, you get them back, and then they arrest yeah, again, and yeah, then yeah. Um, so they they would have multiple yes. shocks. Yeah. Um, I saw one lady who I can't remember how many arrests she said she had, but it was in the tens. Wow! So I can only imagine that she yeah. had a yeah. enormous amount of CPR. And yeah. uh, I imagine it's quite worrying for the crew as well. If someone is, I imagine it's quite exhausting as yeah. well. Yeah. It's not just from the uh, physical point of view, but the mental point of view as well. And, uh, that's probably worth uh, touching on there. How do you, do you guys deal with the situation? I mean, I, I remember, um, well, I don't know if you probably have, uh, Chris Solomon's um, video on YouTube. With, do you know of him? He's, he's worked in the, um, the ambulance service and he was Helicopter Heroes, a TV program, right. was uh, filming. Oh, up, yes, yeah. And he, yeah. he had a heart attack and then went into arrest. Yeah. whilst he was at the ambulance station and where they had the cameras there. So it was all captured on, on yeah. film. And I, what I'm, I'm in awe of is, is the calmness of all the professionals that are there. And uh, is, is that what it's like all the time? Um, I, think, I think you need to, although it might be a stressful situation, you need to act calm um, because it can, it can get out of hand if you don't. You need to have someone running running their cardiac arrest so you need to have a plan so the only way to do that is to stay quite calm but be effective Mm -hmm. Um, if you're all panicking it just go wrong it just go horribly wrong so you need to stay as calm even though inside you might not be you need to be looking it Uh, so it might appear that we're all like used to it but it's still you know we're, we're all trying our best to resuscitate that person but um, I think because we come across it quite a lot, we look like we're quite calm and comfortable doing it, although it's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. I, I read um, in a report once saying that, or it was a study actually, that um, the more experienced the paramedic and the more cardiac arrest they've attended, the, the better the success rate, which would make sense. Is, is that your experience as well? Have you got better at it as you've gone on, do you think? I, I think... Um, I think I'm calmer at a cardiac arrest. Um, but I think some of the new guys coming out from the university are very clued up and they're very confident and very good. Um, so I, I think I think whoever turns up, you've got a pretty good chance. <laughs> the training's really good now. It is a, it's just a nerves thing. And um, But the people I've seen that have just started their career are as good as I am, better than I am. You know, they're very good. And I guess with the... the pit crew system as well yeah so we've got the system just on one person we've got the system in place and if someone's running that it works brilliantly if someone just keeps a little log of the times when drugs were given when shocks were administered who's doing cpr when to change it will run really well it it, it, it'll be like a textbook Mm -hmm. hopefully so so what happens once you've got the the patient back again um what, what next? So the patient, we're all kind of quite happy inside thinking, wow, that's good. <laughs> and uh, it does throw us sometimes because you're like, well, we're expecting that. So we then, we're looking at just stabilising the patient. We keep them nice and flat. Um, and with, 
once we've got an output, we like to keep them for about 10 minutes without moving them too much, just to keep them, to stabilize them, get, check their blood pressure, um, check their oxygen levels, the respiratory rate and the heart rate, and then consider where we're gonna move. So whilst we've given them the 10 minutes, we're thinking about ringing whoever we're gonna to ring to take them to. So that's when we would make the call to CTC if we think it's appropriate or to our local um, hospital if that's the other option. Do you, do you normally take them yourself or will the air Yeah, ambulance? Yeah, we normally run by road. I mean, because we're quite local to um, from this area, the cardiothoracic centres down the road. So it's, if you had to load someone onto a, an ambulance, onto a helicopter, you've got to get them to the helicopter, load them on, fly that there, unload them. If it's only 10 minutes to Basildon from here, that's what we'll do, we'll drive. It's a lot quicker in the, but for distances, the helicopter, you can't beat it. So it, it, it's a logistical decision. Once you've taken to them to the hospital, is that the last you see of them or? Well, we, we give a handover and sometimes um, we take them straight to the theatres at the cardiothoracic centre. So they're all aware from our alert, they're all waiting. There's a team there for the cardiologist and they will go straight in, um, which normally happens, which is really good. And they they then uh, have an angiogram and they're stented if need be, the clots removed. Um, and by the time we've completed all our paperwork, because it's probably a bit of a rush anyway and we haven't had a chance to do it, the patients sometimes are out from theatres. Um, so it's that, <laughs> it's that quick sometimes. Um, sometimes I've been allowed in to watch what goes on, um, which is really interesting, really. Um, it's brilliant stuff they do. And the, the actual um, chain of survival now is fantastic, taking them straight to theatres. It, it all helps with the long-term goal of a healthy patient. You're not delaying any treatment. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it's great. Do you get to know uh, the outcome of the patient? Whether they, If you brought someone who's maybe... Uh, been put into a coma, do you get to find yeah, out what's we, happened? We can do, so we can make a phone call just to the ward that they're on. Um, sometimes it depends, sometimes the next day we might have someone having a heart attack that we go to see, to, which happens quite a bit, so we can check up on patients from the day before. Um, so if it is a ROSC, I tend to find out just to see how they're doing. Um, but that's just my own curiosity. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's interesting to know how people do. I mean, do you think that helps in your your experience and how you manage each uh, event? Yeah, these these jobs are the big jobs that we join to do. These are the rewarding ones, and this is making a difference to people's lives. Uh, and that's you know what we've been trained to do, and you're actually completing what you're trained to do. We don't do it every day, but when we do do it, it's a great feeling. So it's nice to find out what's happened to that patient. Yeah, you're at the sharp end of life and death, aren't you? You touched on the uh, maternity side of things as well earlier. Yeah, the... yeah. So we, we, I mean, palliative care is uh, going away from the cardiac thing. Palliative care is another big thing we come across these days. And people ring an ambulance because they don't know what to do. So we're trained more and more in end of life care now, which is... Um, it can be tough and these are, they're quite upsetting jobs for the family and you know so we do sort of touch on life and death daily pretty much. Mm -hmm. well, I was going to touch on that about 
So hopefully you do get a good outcome, but what, what about when you get the not so favorable outcome? How do you handle that? So work-wise, what we'll do is we basically, depending on what the situation of the, the arrest, um, we may need police involved or it, it might be just um, expected. So depending on the situation is what happens next, but we complete um, forms and we, we have to do our sort of patient report form on all the treatments we've administered. We've got to deal with families. So if there's families on scene, we have to break the news to them, which is quite tough sometimes. Um, we, we have to deal with arranging what happens next. So we can be tied up on scene quite a while and it can be quite emotional. The actual job may have gone really smoothly and been like a textbook job, but the, I think the aftercare and like talking to the family and relatives is something that you need to get through experience. It doesn't come easy and there's ways, we know none of us are taught on how to break bad news. It's something that you learn how to do and you need to be honest with people compassionate as well and it is tough and I've uh, yeah I've come away with a tear in my eye a few times yeah I imagine it's like hard that. not to take that home sometimes especially it when is, it yeah. may be a young yeah. young person it is really tough it is tough yeah um, but we have to because we can't carry everything with us we I think we'd all have nervous breakdowns some things touch home like they reflect on your own life certain jobs might trigger memories but uh, I think we kind of all talk and we've got all got a warped sort of sense of humour now, which is our way of diffusing things. And I think it's good to talk. Talking is the best thing. We can't go home bottling things up. Okay. Uh, do, do you have official debriefs at we, all? We do. We have debriefs We and we have support if we need it. We Following some nasty jobs, you will get a phone call from um, a counsellor and they will ask if you need to meet up or for any further treatment and it's there if, if you need if you need it. So the support's there. Um, but sometimes people don't take it and where they should have done it. Yeah, um, just going back to sort of uh, finding out about the, the patients, what about when the uh, the patients wants to contact you and then they, they yeah, get I'm, back out of the hospital and want to meet their yeah, saviors? I'm, more than happy to meet up with people. It's great. It's great to see that people are doing well. And like yourself, it's amazing what you're doing. And uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Is, it, is that, no better thing. Would that be true for most paramedics, oh, do you definitely. think? Definitely. To see someone that was unconscious, not breathing, with no heartbeat, working, functioning, having a good quality of life is amazing. It's, it's the reason why you do your job. It is. You this, is, this, is this is the big part um, in a way we're privileged to be able to provide that service i feel it's it's very rare that someone can actually save someone's life and when you do it it's i i think it's like a privilege it's brilliant one, one of the, absolutely and one of the other things that i see sometimes is uh patients are a little bit nervous about meeting their saviors uh i was about meeting you um 
because basically we've got no memory of it. You're almost no. like a stranger to us, but they, they feel like they want to be able to give you a, a gift or something, but obviously nothing's going to match what you, the gift that you've given to us. But what, what would that, if you were to say, you know, if someone says to you, what, what would you like? What Nothing. Would... Oh, we're, we're, we'd just like to see that you're happy and functioning. And that is the, that's it. We don't require, I don't need anything. I've got everything I need. So, um, yeah, it's just, um, it's just amazing to know that people are doing well. And that's it. Good, good. I mean, I, I totally agree. Because for me, when I met you and the, the Hems guys, it was a, a great experience for me. Uh, very emotional, but also um, it felt like uh, something, a weight had been left off, lifted off my shoulders. I don't know why that was, but it was a case of... Uh, there's this blank period of my life and that a whole bunch of people came to to help me out in my hour of need or moment of need and uh, I just want to say thank you to them. And uh, It was brilliant. I mean, what, what you did and everyone met up because even being a paramedic, I, I know what goes on behind the scenes, but to actually meet everyone and see everyone involved, you then realise how bigger the picture is. And um, it was great for me seeing the call taker, the dispatcher, like us, then the obviously the air ambulance guys, and it it was just a massive. So that's unusual, is it? Seeing I've it? never done that before, oh, and okay. I really enjoyed it, and I like, I thought it was brilliant, and uh, everyone telling their own little story, and it it just start put it all together, like for you, and also it sort of it just because I only see my bit of what I do really, and I know the CTC do amazing stuff and that, but we don't really see it, but to hear it as a as a uh, timeline was really good. Yeah, yeah. I, think I really probably, thought it was good. I'm really glad I went to that. Yeah, I probably did have it, like you say, pretty much all of the links of the, the chain yeah, of from, the survival. From your wife, what she's doing to to the got to the, the call the handler, the ringing. dispatcher. Yeah, and you. Yeah, and then uh, Ben and uh, Will from the Hems. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. brilliant. It was. Yeah. It was. And nice cakes as well. <laughs> <laughs> that was my baking period. Yeah. As, uh, as the, that was amazing. Uh, my neurologist called it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't made them for a long time. I should get back into yeah. like baking again. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. So it, it seems a good point actually to sort of talk about my event because you know maybe you could fill in some of the uh, missing bits for me. Uh, Tracy, my wife, she's not always keen on talking about it. Right, and, so uh, what I recall driving up to your address today, it kind of all come back to me because I remember we were we were just minutes away returning from another job and we got this call. So we were here within, I think, three minutes. We was just around the corner and um, I remember going upstairs to your, was it an office up there? Yeah. And it was the day after your birthday, is that right? That's I right. only know because it, on top of you was like cards from your kids and we're like oh my god so <laughs> they'd all sort of fallen and it the room was a bit of a mess and um your wife was quite frantic understandably uh so we began chest compressions on you we obviously felt for a pulse there wasn't one and the defib pads went on and uh you you got a shock and then uh I can't remember exactly the amount of shocks or I think it's just one, wasn't it, with you? I think there was a couple. Oh, a couple, yeah. Well, I've actually got the printout at home. I should have brought it. Oh, yeah. I kept, oh, I kept it. I'll yeah. be interested to copy it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've, got, I've kept it. 
But um, that was really good. And then um, obviously by the time Hems had turned up, we had a ROSC with you. And then it was about a case of keeping you nice and flat, getting you down the stairs and in your front garden, they sedated you um, on the stretcher. I hear there was a lot of uh, noise going on because there was a, some building work yeah, going on next Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so your garden was like a, it was like a hub of activity and uh, I think there was a few passers by. Um, but yeah, so they sedated you on the lawn uh, and then we um, transported you to, it's like five minutes up the road from here, isn't it, to CTC? Well, depending on how fast you're going. <laughs> yeah, we're going pretty quick. <laughs> I can imagine. But, um, yours was like, uh, it was like textbook really. It was, uh, but I do remember like the birthday cards thinking, ah, oh, like, and you're, he's a lot younger than me. And that's another thing is all going to people younger than me that have arrested. Makes me appreciate getting to my age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Indeed. I mean, I, I don't really know how many people attended me. So there was, there was you, there was, uh, yeah, so we there was had, the um, Hems, there was, there was two guys. I think guys. there was, uh, yeah, I think the Heart Crew turned up as well. What are the Heart Crew? Heart, the Hazardous Area Response Team. I seem to remember them turning up. Why would that have been? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, maybe maybe they maybe Hems I would might, have called them I, because they had to. It wasn't easy for them to yeah. get to me because they had to land on a yeah. local maybe. Golf course. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they were there. I can't. I've got a feeling they were. There was a heart team there. I, I'm not sure. I might be wrong there. Uh-huh. But there was uh, there was me and my crewmate Simon. There was another crew, and then, yeah, I'm sure they were there. I'm sure. So there's quite a few people. And so you had, you had fun getting me down the stairs, did you? Yeah, you were on a scoop stretcher. Uh, we got you down quite easily, and uh, it was a little bit awkward, but we've done a lot worse things. So, yeah, it was quite quite easy to get out, really. Good. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was the, the day after my... Uh, 47th birthday yeah I've forgotten now <laughs> yeah. and uh, I've been out the night before to see Frank Skinner in concert oh right and uh, down at the Cliffs Pavilion and I I've got no memory of that at all oh and he's he's uh, appearing at the uh, Cliffs Pavilion later in the year oh is he are you like, going should, should I go <laughs> <or not? laughs> maybe he was rubbish and you're better off not remembering it <laughs> <laughs> I don't the uh, about a year or so afterwards, he brought out the DVD of his concert, right? And it was like, Is it Russian roulette to yeah, actually watch nah. this? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> well, I'm glad it wasn't raining like it is now. No, that day, no that, it was a nice day, I remember it being a nice day. I mean, I, I remember someone saying that um, they put me into an induced coma because yeah. I was, I think you mentioned earlier that some people become agitated. Yeah, yeah, Do you I remember think it's all about that. That's what they did. You had you had started breathing for yourself, and you had a good cardiac output, but you hadn't gained consciousness yet. And I think just to keep you stable, um, that's what they did. They intubated you and um, and sedated you just to keep you like nice and calm. So obviously, um, that's got to be one of your highlights of your career saving me. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, <laughs> that's joking yeah. aside. It is, it is what, 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 what has been your highlight of your time as a paramedic? Do you think? Um, I think my job in general is just on a weekly basis. I there's something that I enjoy, 
Um, I can't, I couldn't, I've made some really good friends through the ambulance service. Um, my old crewmate, we're really close friends now. And I think working with him, it was like going out with one of your friends. So I was getting paid to go out with my friend and do this amazing stuff. It was just, uh, I just felt sort of blessed that I could do that. It's incredible. So uh, my job, I'm hoping a highlight will come up, yeah. We'll <laughs> <laughs> get bigger and bigger as you go along. I hope so, yeah. But <clears throat> when you do something that you're really proud of and feel really good about, you think nothing can top that. And then six months later, something will. There's always something that, that turns out really good or you're really proud of doing. So uh, there's no telling when it'll happen. Mm -hmm. what, what's the, the rest of your day like when you're a paramedic? Is it, it, is we do a lot of mundane things to some people. We do a lot of referrals. So at the moment, we're getting a lot of calls from the 111 service. So we have to go and assess patients. And if we feel they need hospital treatment, we'll take them or we refer them back to GPs. So it, it's, we still do the people falling over, picking them up. You know, so the actual really big jobs that we do um, may sometimes be few and far between, but they do come along. Uh, if a paramedic's listening to this, is there anything, anything you want to get out there at all? Uh, well, I'll, I do feel that doing the job I'm doing, we sometimes forget what we actually do do and what an amazing thing it is in a, in a job wise. And when I was off with a bad back recently, get going back to work and the thought of what I actually do at work was quite scary. Um, but because we do it all the time, we, we take it for granted a little bit, but what we're actually doing is amazing. And so keep doing it. <laughs> and uh, it's a cracking job. Outside of uh, your, your paramedics, I believe you do uh, um, some charity work with your colleagues as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so each year we enter a Tough Mudder event it started off just as a, a one-off thing. Um, we, we raise money for different local charities um, and we get a team together of paramedics and friends, whoever wants to do it. We all dress up, wear vest tops and do a 10 mile um, assault course. It, it's a weekend away, it involves a lot of beer, getting drunk, hangovers and getting electrocuted. <laughs> so it's, Sounds a uh, bit like a cardiac arrest patient. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it when you get shocked, but uh, it's a really good fun thing to do. We love it. And um, this year we're raising money for the Little Princess Trust, uh, which donate hair to, or, or money to cancer children. And it gets some wigs and stuff like that. And one of our colleagues is having her hair cut off and she's donating that. So it's a really good cause this year. We try and keep it local, um, but yes, yeah, just good fun. It's good sort of bonding time with, with your crewmates and stuff. Yeah, we have a great time. You, you were saying that you had a little bit of an injury and some time out of work uh, or away from your training and out of work. And um, you had something that you maybe wanted to tell other paramedics that going back to work, what that's like after a break? Yeah. I'd, I had um, a back injury, um, I've got ongoing. I think everyone in the ambulance service has back problems, but mine flared up. Um, and I had to go to the hospital, have some physio and a scan. And uh, I got back to work and before I got back to work, I had two months off and uh, I was kind of a bit tentative about going back, sort of thinking about the things, 
we have to do as a job. And because we normally do it on a day-to-day -day basis, it doesn't really, you don't really think how awesome your job is. But um, it was quite scary. And once I got back into it, I soon sort of, but it made me appreciate what we all do. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's quite a, a big thing that we do and it's life changing. So, Absolutely. Uh, everyone should keep up the good work. <laughs> I tell you, there's uh, about 1,200 people in my group who all think you're awesome and, <laughs> and do an absolutely amazing job as well. So, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be here in this uh, podcast, wouldn't it be existing? And uh, a whole host of other things in life wouldn't have happened without, without you and your colleagues uh, yeah. across the land. So it's a th big, big thank you from me and everyone else in the group. Well, you're so. all welcome. And it's what we're trying to do. And it's what we, you know, the outcome that we want. So, you know, it's, uh, it's very gratifying for us. Mm -hmm. Well, hopefully things can only improve in the, in the future with the... Um, mandatory CPR training and more AEDs in the yeah. in the general public um, yeah. and hopefully you'll be seeing more of us around and you'll be Definitely. getting more thanks. <laughs> and, yeah uh, this, is, this is lovely to meet up again and uh, you're looking really well. So, Thank you yeah. and you as well. Thank you. Before we get too <laughs> lovely we probably <laughs> call, call an end to the um, the podcast and uh, just like to say thanks again to Paul for coming to the, the scene of the crime as it were again <laughs> no worries. which um, hopefully it wasn't too bad for you and uh, thanks very much and uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Yeah thank you yeah it's been nice to meet up again yeah. Thanks a lot. Okay.